morning. I preach in Jesus' name this morning. It truly is a privilege to be together. I did my preparation for my message here this morning, and then I looked at the Sunday school lesson, and I thought, whoa. So we're going to regurgitate. I looked at it and I thought, no, there's not a chance. We'll we'll talk too much about it. But it was we were dancing all around it. We're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at light last time. We're going to go into the next portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter five. We're going to start at verse 17, and we're going to go through verse 20. I don't know how long I'm going to continue this study, but I I started on it, and then I stopped, thought I'd do something else, and different things kept probing along, and at some point you got to go. So I want to look at Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20, and I'm going to read these verses and I'm going to read them very slow and I want you to think about what I'm reading about the message the word let it penetrate let it let the spirit speak begin reading at verse 17 think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets I am not come to destroy but to fulfill for verily I say unto you Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Appreciated the devotional this morning and the Sunday school time looking at kingdom, the kingdom of God. Here we have a glimpse of Christ's kingdom. So this morning I titled my message One Jot and One Tittle. Have you ever heard that saying before? Not a very common saying in our language. Maybe a more familiar saying would be dot the I, cross the T. has the idea of paying attention to detail. The jot and the tittle is referring to the Hebrew language. The jot being somewhat of the letter of the smallest smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet referring to it almost as a comma. And then the tittle is even smaller yet. So Jesus is making a strong point here. My word, the law, It's going to be down to the, the greatest detail, the smallest detail. He did not come to abolish, destroy, 
or to do away with, but to fulfill. So as we reflect, this is the Christmas season. sure don't feel like it, but this is time when we reflect on Christmas. So let us ponder the real reasons why Jesus came to earth. Ultimately, Jesus came to bring salvation for mankind. And he did that by bringing that through the prophets and the prophecy. And he fulfilled every detail. Jesus came to fulfill the entire Old Testament. Jesus says, Do not think. Jesus wanted to clear up some misunderstanding. Here's Jesus teaching about kingdom principles, how a Christian should live. We worked our, st- our study through the Beatitudes and how it's an upside-down kingdom. And he says, Don't think that I've come to destroy, but to fulfill. You know, I couldn't help but wonder, as Jesus was here teaching them, were the disciples listening intently, thinking, Man, this is, this is, this is different. Did they have perplexed looks? Were their eyebrows raised? This is just some of my own thoughts. But Jesus obviously had the power to look into their hearts and to know what they were thinking. So he injects here. He says, Do not think that I'm come to destroy the law. This word destroy here in Matthew is also used later in the same word is used to describe the destruction of the temple. So it's a strong word, destroy. Jesus had no intentions of destroying the law. But he says, I am going to fulfill. So what does the word fulfill mean? This word fulfill occurs numerous times also in Matthew. And it has, and it does not mean to bring an end to, but it means to fill up, to expand on, to make complete. We could say that Jesus concerning the Old Testament he filled it up he filled it full of meaning Jesus did not contradict the Old Testament he was the culmination of it lots of places in the Old Testament pointed to a Messiah someone to save people from their sin and Jesus was concerned about every detail all the way down to the smallest that it would be fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? Every dot, every comma in the law, Jesus was concerned about. I heard the Old Testament explained this way. It's like a black and white sketch with people and animals on it as a picture. And Jesus brings life to those pictures. When we color in the lines the Old Testament it brings it to life and it becomes a beautiful scene have you colored the Old Testament can you see Jesus portrayed as you look at the Old Testament I remember taking a class at Maranatha it was called Old Testament History 3 and I took it out of somewhat of interest but I didn't realize what I would actually gain by taking that class because I never really had a liking to history. But Dan Schrock was a teacher and I remember going through that class being amazed after 
time and time again of all the different things in the Old Testament, the types and shadows, and how it all kind of came together and made this beautiful picture. It brought life to it. It's like, wow, that is neat. And so once you start putting things together, other parts of the puzzle start falling together. And there are so many things that pointed toward Christ in the Old Testament. So what I thought was boring, reading, now has meaning. The law prescribed a system of sacrifice to deal with sin. For years, day by day, week after week, year after year, the people had to do sacrifice. These sacrifices released them of their sins, the punishment of their sin. Only death and blood that those animals gave up could cover that for a short period of time. But there, there was also a very strict protocol that had to be followed. What animals for certain sacrifice, even the best animals, could only be used? That would mean giving up the family pet. Sometimes, I'm sure. There were thousands and thousands of animals slain for the sins of man. And they all pointed toward a more perfect sacrifice to come. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist, one we were studying this morning in our Sunday school lesson, he exclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ was that perfect Lamb. Through Jesus' sinless life and sacrificial death, the penalty of sin had been paid. Christ provided a way of salvation. That meant all the Old Testament requirements. That meant all the requirements and demands of the Old Testament. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Begin reading at verse 20 and read through verse 31. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sin that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him who believed in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. If he the God of the Jews only, is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we 
establish the law. So back to my thought, the jot and the tittle. In Matthew 5, verse 18 there, it says, Matthew gives two illustrations. First being the illustration of heaven and earth, and the second being a penmanship of the Hebrew language. Who better than Jesus could be the one to have the authority to stand and say a statement like this? For he was the creator of heaven and earth. So as long as the world lasts, God's word is going to last. It lasted for 2,000 years. The world will go another 2,000 years. It will last. God's word never changed. And if you were paying attention this morning in Isaiah chapter 40, which is the devotional, the very last verse that Mark read, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's word is going to stand. Jesus is saying that it is actually easier for heaven and earth to pass away than it is for my word to pass away. It will stand. This also gives us another uh, aspect of God's word and that is the inerrancy of the scripture. I find it interesting that God chooses to work with frail man to bring about his word. How faithful am I living God's word? How faithful are you living out God's word? God chose to work with man How faithful are, are we? Jesus is also saying that his teaching will continue. What Jesus did was totally in line with the Old Testament. In Acts 10:43, to him give you, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him should receive remission of sin. Luke 24:44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. As we follow Jesus, we not only will meet the requirements of the law, but we will go further. We will live above the law. Jesus has more to say there in Matthew chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 and I'll be honest I struggled with verse 19 in totally understanding what Jesus was saying but there are a few things that I do know for sure Jesus is saying that we need to be righteous A righteous that is consistent with the Old Testament but is different from that of the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Pharisees. So what is righteousness? 
let's define first and foremost God is righteous in Exodus 34 6-7 describes God God has described himself as merciful gracious, slow to anger bounding, steadfast love faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and the transgressions and sin that is a righteous God no evil then Jesus made it very simple turn to Matthew chapter 22 Matthew chapter 22 verse 33 when the multitude heard this they were astonished at his doctrine but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence they were gathered together then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question tempting him and saying Master, which is the greatest commandment in law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Two simple commandments love God love the people and the rest of the law hangs on that were the disciples confused about the scribes and Pharisees did they look at them as the elite they were the ones that were righteous because they knew the law they're the ones that studied the law they knew it back and forth forth and back they knew what the law meant it seems that Jesus had some very strong language for for them throughout, throughout Matthew's account Jesus reserves his harshest criticism for the scribes and Pharisees so where did the Pharisees and scribes miss it? First, it seemed that they saw righteousness as a primary external adherence to God's command. You know, we're people. We like lists. Did the Pharisees take that approach that we have this, 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 and this, and I checked, I did it, and, and therefore the external adherence to God's command, I'm good. Also interesting that later in in Matthew here, uh, Jesus contrasts their interpretation. They were very proud of the fact that they did not murder. Yet he showed to them that having anger in their hearts toward their brother was just as sinful as murder. Second, where did the Pharisees miss it? They were not motivated by love for God. 
that sought after the praise of man. Matthew 6, 1-18 Remember how they love to be seen by man giving and praying and fasting. Jesus said the love for God means that true righteousness is done with a view to please God and not man. Third, where they go wrong, they were rebuked for their lack of mercy and compassion in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. Fourth, Matthew 15, 1-9, Jesus identifies their problem as a matter of the heart. This people honors, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. True righteousness is a matter of inward character, not just an external behavior. Jesus gave us an illustration. He called the scribes and Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Matthew 23, 20, verses 27 through 28. Picture a coffin painted white on the outside, but on the inside is a rotting corpse. That is strong language. Do I seek after the praise of men? Question that we need to ask ourselves. Is it way more important to seek after the approval of God? Do we spend time managing our outward appearances for the praise of men so we look good? There's two sides to this. I think I've shared from this book before, The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down by David Bersot. I found this interesting. I'm just going to read a little excerpt out of here. And he illustrates these two uh, ditches. And it's the narrow gate. No wonder Jesus counseled us, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who, do, who go in it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's found in Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14. The road is eternal life is indeed narrow and difficult. There are large chasms on each side. On the one side there's a chasm of laxity and worldliness. Most professing Christians fall into this chasm. The kingdom walk is too straight for them. They want an easy road and there are no shortage of preachers who will tell them that they have that they don't really have to obey Jesus' teaching. These same preachers will also tell them they don't really have to be separate from the world. On the other side of the narrow way is a chasm of the Phariseeism. This is the apse of self-righteousness. If we don't fall into the first chasm, we likely to fall into the other. The way is not easy. Then he tells a story. Back in 1981, I worked in the corporate attorney for a small oil company in East Texas. One day we were here. We had a hearing with the Texas Railroad Commission in Austin. It probably sounds strange to a non-Texan, but in Texas, the state agency that regulates oil and gas production in the railroad is the Railroad Commission. Anyway, we had a hearing about the changing of the field rules for a particular gas field. Because of the company had its own helicopter, we decided to fly down to Austin. On the way down, we stopped and picked up a petroleum engineer and a geologist from Finney, who also were going to the same hearing. The meeting in Austin went fine. During the trip back, I sat front with the pilot and was watching him fly the helicopter. I said to myself, that doesn't look very hard. 
I can probably do that myself. So I asked the pilot if I could let him, let me, my man, the controls for a while, and he readily agreed. I asked him what I needed to do, and he showed me a little ball in the instrument dial. All you have to do is keep the ball in the center of that dial, he exclaimed to me. Well, that sounds easy enough. So I told him I was ready, and he handed me the controls. However, I soon found out that keeping the ball in the center was anything but easy for a novice. The controls were so sensitive, and the slightest move sent the helicopter reeling to one direction and then back to the other direction. Then I tried to correct my error. So we, z we went zigzagging across the Texas sky as I tried desperately to keep that little ball in the center of the dial. Finally, the engineer from Vinny in the back seat, who was feeling nauseous, shouted, Get that lawyer away from the controls. The pilot lost no time in taking the controls back over. When he dropped the two Finney men off, they both gave me a nasty look. In fact, it turned out that they had a return to Austin for a second hearing a month later, so we called up Finney to see if Finia to see if their engineers would want to ride with us again. They politely declined, saying they would just drive down and meet us there. I think they were afraid that I might be in the controls again. Living the Christian life is not is a lot like flying a helicopter. We have to keep the center of the road, and it's easy to do that because the road, and it isn't easy to do that because the road is narrow. The confines of the road don't allow us to go zigzagging along. We must not zig into the chasm of worldliness nor zag into the chasm of self-righteousness. We have to keep straight on the course. <clears throat> you know, we can get so caught up in the outward that we, that the inward, the heart, gets neglected. And then we can say it's only what matters in the heart. And then the outward goes down. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this I do know, that we need a change of heart if we want to be called righteous. Do we want to be in the kingdom of God? Does our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? There in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5. The religious rulers refused to come to Jesus because they were confident in their own righteousness. <coughs> Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We don't make ourselves right by doing more and trying harder. Rather, we repent and believe on Jesus. That is when we can experience true righteousness. And that's when God will declare you not guilty. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 and 25 talks about the law being our schoolmaster. It shows us where we went wrong. How we reach out in faith to take the gift of salvation. And then the law is no longer our schoolmaster. Jesus indicates that God's plan and purpose for humanity to love God and others remains. But then also in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 you don't have to turn there but I'm going to turn there. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel 
After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. God's going to write his law on our hearts. Another Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. We will have the Holy Spirit also to help guide us and walk in his way. When we trust in Jesus, he not only declares us righteous, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. Closing, I want to read Psalms chapter 37. I'm going to read the entire psalm. I want you to just pay attention to the words as we read this psalm. The righteous, different parts that it talks about righteous. This was penned before the time of Christ. Psalms 37. Fret not thyself because of the evildoer, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withered as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light, and thy judgment as a noonday. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of, the, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay such as be of the upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inhabitants shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine, and they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat lambs. They shall consume into the smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteousness forsaken nor his seed beggeth bread. 
He is, even, he is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth the judgment, forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee in thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, and thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not yea. I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressions shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. To sum it up, God's word will stand. It will not fail. Does your righteousness, does my righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes? Love God. Love others. It is so simple, yet how can it be so hard?